Awesome. Good morning, church. How are you doing? So good. Turn to the person next to you and say, shift your faith. Raise your faith. Yeah, look in them in the eye and tell them like you mean it. Raise your faith in 2024. Happy New Year. It's so good to see all of you. If you're visiting us for the very first time, I want to extend a huge welcome to you. Thank you so much for choosing to share your Sunday with us here at Elam Christian Center, Manurewa. How many of you are excited for 2024? Yes. Yes. You know, what is... I cannot wait to see what God has in store for us in 2024. I'm so excited to see all that God is going to do this year. Some of us have already got New Year's resolutions underway. Kudos to you. Some of us have got a number of goals that you're looking to achieve and accomplish this year. Kudos to you as well. And some of us are just looking forward to a fresh start in 2024. Kudos to you. You know, earlier this week, Haley and I were in um, Pawanui. We had a chance to just enjoy some rest uh, recoup, um, and at the same time, enjoy the beach, uh, spend time with family, and just do nothing. It's been an awesome time, and one of the things that I got to do was walk up Mount Pawanui. Now, we've been to Mount Pawanui for the last about three years, three years, for Christmas holidays, but I never walked up Mount Pawanui, and so I'm quite proud to say that on the 3rd of January, 2024, I walked up Mount Pawanui for the first and last time. <laughs> Listen, first of all, it took me about a good 20 minutes to find the entrance to the thing. I saw some stairs and I just got onto the stairs and I started walking. Then I realized I was walking up and into a family's backyard. So I came all the way back down, walked along the bottom until I found the beginning of the track. Second of all, when I did find the start of the walking track, I was already tired. So no one is paying attention to the track, you know, options on the board. But there was a flat rock walk that was about 10 minutes of a walk. Now, for my height and weight, that was probably the best walk for me. But there was another track called the Oceanic View Loop, which was about 30 minutes of a walk. And then, then there was this Mount Pawanui Trig Track. This was the one that gets to the summit or the peak of the mountain. That's all I saw, and I thought, this is the walk I'm doing. In hindsight, this particular walk took three hours, and there was a very specific detail on there that said, suitable for people with reasonable fitness. But was I paying attention? No. I just saw Mountain Peak. I saw, you know, the top of the mountain, summit, the word summit, and I made the decision, I'm going to the summit. Now, you need to understand that Mount Pawanui is 387 meters high. That is high. That's taller than the Big Ben. That's taller than the Leaning Tower of Pisa. That's taller than the Eiffel Tower. That's taller than the Sky Tower itself. But I'm 30 minutes into the walk, and I tell you, my legs are sore. My feet were sore. My knees were sore. My mind is sore. Thinking about how foolish I was to have started to trek up this mountain with the wrong shoes on, I've got white dress sneaker shoes on, and I've got no water with me. But I continued to walk. Man, I'm loving the compassion from church this morning. The steep slopes and the treacherous terrain just made Mount Pawanui an unrelenting challenge. The ascent required physical strength. It required mental fortitude. It required unwavering determination. It was a journey with seemingly endless series of switchbacks that just wind their way up the mountain's face. Each step forward felt like you were taking two steps backwards. The incline becoming absolutely steeper with every passing moment. The air just growing thinner, making each breath more labored than the last. 
Mount Pawanui for me was just absolutely unyielding, constant climbing, never ending upward climb. It was hard. It was difficult. It was a challenge. Have you ever encountered an obstacle that felt so insurmountable it was almost like climbing a mountain? Have you ever been in a situation that felt like scaling a steep mountain peak? Have you ever had to navigate something that felt like an uphill battle? Perhaps 2023 has felt exactly like a climbing mountain for some of us. Insurmountable amount of climbing that just felt like it was never going to end. Circumstances constantly switching up. Bogged down by different situations that seem to arise. If it is in the finances, it's the job. If it isn't the job, it's the relationships. If it isn't the relationships, it's the family. If it isn't the family, it's the illness. It just felt like one thing after another, after another. And on the journey, it's just felt like, will I ever get to see the summit? Will I ever get to the top? Am I ever going to be able to see a shift in my situation? If that's you, I've got just the encouragement for you this Sunday morning, the 7th of January, 2024. Isaiah 54 verse 1 to 8 says this, Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. God bless the reading of his word. What I'm going to give you is a quick synopsis, some background information or context as we dive into this, this passage in Isaiah. Context is always really important because it provides clarity and meaning of the message being conveyed in the passage. You know, when we get to the book of Isaiah, up until this point, Israel has been waiting for a king to lead Israel. Book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, as you follow the biblical narrative all along, you find that generation after generation, people failed to obey God, constantly turning away from God. After God made a covenant with Abraham, God told him that he would be blessed and through him, the nations of the world would be blessed. Abraham's family grows. They end up in slavery in Egypt. God rescues them out of Egypt. He brings them to the foot of the mountain called Sinai and asks them to obey all of his commands. God is wanting them to do so. And as they do, they become image bearers of God to the surrounding nations. Unfortunately, as the story goes on, we find that Abraham's family, they fail at obeying God and following his commands. And so God raises up a leader by the name of David, who would be faithful on behalf of an unfaithful people. But even David had major flaws of his own. 
And so God promises that the leader who would lead the covenant people would be a faithful king from the line of David. The king would lead Israel towards faithfulness to God. The king would rule over the nations forever and ever. But as the story goes on, we find that David was not that king. His son was not even that king, nor any of his descendants at this point. And so when we open up the book of Isaiah, we have utmost expectation. We're anticipating that the promised king from the line of David is going to be revealed to us. The prophet Isaiah, he lived and prophesied during a time when the nation of Israel was split into two kingdoms. The northern part of Israel was called the kingdom of Israel and the southern part was called the kingdom of Judah. This was a time of political instability, not just for the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, but for all of the kingdoms at the east at the time. Many kingdoms faced external threats from powerful empires like Assyria. Assyria was starting to expand and growing and as an empire, and so it started to attack Israel, the northern kingdom, and Syria in the north. Because of that, Israel and Syria then go down and ask Judah to join them in order to defeat Assyria, but Judah refused to join them. As a result, Israel and Syria, they start to attack the southern kingdom, Judah. Isaiah then steps onto the scene. And and here's the mess thing about it. When they start to attack Judah, Judah starts to contemplate and entertain the idea of asking Assyria to come and help them to defeat Israel and Syria in, in the north. And so Isaiah steps onto the scene And he tells the king of Judah and the people of Judah, trust God. But the king at the time rejected Isaiah's advice. And so they asked Assyria to come anyway. Assyria accepted the call and the capital of Israel fell. Not only that, but it soon became clear that Assyria who came to help Judah is now going to turn against Judah. And so Judah started to look south. They started to look to Egypt to help them to defeat Assyria. Again, Isaiah steps onto the scene and he says to the king of Judah and the people of Judah, do not form these alliances. Trust God. Thankfully, Hezekiah, who was the king at the time, he took on Isaiah's advice. The Bible says that God rewarded his faith by destroying the Assyrians. However, just when you think it's going good, it takes a turn for the worse. In a moment of weakness, the king Hezekiah, he becomes flattered by a number of Babylonian ambassadors who were going around trying to form alliances at the time. And so King Hezekiah starts to show them the treasures and resources. He trusted God in the time of crisis, but then the moment he thought that a better option showed up, he ditched God. Hezekiah preferred to have the military power and the strength of the Babylonians as opposed to facing the Assyrians again by trusting God. And so Isaiah steps onto the scene again, and here's what he says, Isaiah 39, 5 to 7. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood who will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Over a hundred years later, Babylon destroyed Judah. The Bible says that Judah was taken into captivity. The people of Judah had been carried away. Their bloodied, beaten bodies carried away from Jerusalem. They're being carried to Babylon, which means confused. 
And Psalm 137 paints a picture of what it felt like to be in exile. Here's what it says. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yeah, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? They sat down by the rivers of Babylon and they wept. Not because of the pain in their bodies. Not because of the lacerations in their flesh. Not because of the discomfort of the chains that had them bound. They wept when they remembered Zion. I don't know about you. But perhaps you've lost something in 2023. And at the end of 2023, you sat by the river of Babylon. The place that means confused. You sat in the place of confusion. Confused about the things that have happened in your life in 2023. You're seated by the river and you're weeping. Not because you're tired. Not because you've got no more fight left in you. Not because of how hard and difficult 2023 has been. Oh, you've been weeping because you remembered what you lost. You're weeping over the death of loved ones. Weeping over the loss of everything you owned. Weeping over the loss of your job. The loss of opportunities. The loss of finances. Weeping over the cruelty of the season that you're in. Weeping over what has been a painful journey in 2023. Dreams that have not been realized. Hope and desires that have been deferred. One of the most cruel things described in the psalm is the cruel demand of the captors. Those who plundered the people of Judah are saying, sing us one of your songs from Zion. So they didn't just conquer them. They didn't just drag them out of their hometown. They didn't just keep them bound. No, now they're asking them, sing us a song. It's said that nobody could do music quite like the people of Israel. They were incredible when it came to music. But yet here we have, we have Israel. They're in a foreign land with no song to sing. They're weeping instead of singing. They're saying, how could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? The captors are wanting to reduce their song to entertainment. The captors want to reduce the Lord's song to nothing but just a means for their entertainment. But they said, how could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? The people had no heart for singing anymore. They had no song in them anymore. They couldn't even do the one thing that they still had with them, sing. And so instead, they hung their harps in the trees. Music, this profound art form that transcends language and touches the depths of the soul, could no longer be heard. No more melodies to evoke emotions or memories. No more familiar rhythms and harmonies that filled hearts with joy. No more singing to comfort in times of sorrow. It seems that their song is fading away. Yet just when we think all hope is lost, just when we think it's over, just when we think it's the end, you'll find that there is still a song that is lingering within the silence. 
that if we listen closely enough, we realize that even in the absence of sound, there is still music to be found. After all of the things that he foretold about Judah being taken away into captivity, the prophet Isaiah's message takes a sudden shift. Suddenly, things begin to switch. Suddenly, the prophet calls the people of Judah and says, Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor. He says, you will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. He says, the Lord will call you back as if you were a deserted and distressed in spirit. And so there are three images that I want to encourage you with this morning. Isaiah uses these pictures to convey his message for the people of Israel. The first one is this. The woman who was barren is supernaturally fruitful. Israel is being portrayed at this time as a woman who was barren, a woman who could not give birth. In other words, Israel was not fruitful or productive in her attempts to be an image bearer of God to the nations, so much so that she's been taken away to captivity. You see, it's interesting because the word barren in Hebrew actually comes from a root word that means plucked out. It means that there are absolutely no more roots because they've been plucked down. And here we have Israel who has been plucked out of her normal environment and placed into a place where she is not able to be fruitful. How could she be fruitful whilst being bound? How could she be productive whilst in captivity? And so Isaiah refers to her as a barren woman. In the ancient Near East, the worst thing that, one of the worst things that could ever happen to a woman is, not to, to, is to not be able to have children. Women who were barren were ostracized from society. They would have been humiliated for being barren. They would have felt the emotional toil of infertility constantly being ridiculed and looked down on. Not only that, but the barren would have affected, being barren would have affected a woman's economic security. In biblical times, a woman's worth was closely tied to her ability to bear children. If she had no children, she had no guarantee of financial support or even protection in her old age. And so barrenness is the inability of human resources to solve problems. But God sent his messenger Isaiah to speak into barren situations and say, sing barren woman. You who never bore a child burst into song. Isaiah is letting Israel know that even though she wasn't as productive in being a, an image bearer of God to the nations, even though she's barren, by God's grace, she was going to be supernaturally fruitful. She was going to live a life of unexpected abundance, having to enlarge the tent, stretch the tent curtains, lengthen cords, strengthen the stakes, because she was going to have more descendants than she can account for. Whilst Isaiah's prophecy finds its fulfillment in the return of the exiles and the restoration of the city, to stop there is to miss the power of the text. You see, when Apostle Paul reaches for Isaiah 54 in Galatians, he is wanting us to see the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth as part of Isaiah's joyful command to enlarge the tent and get ready for lots of children. The entire passage is missional. The number of people who are going to be born anew by the Spirit is going to increase so much so that it calls for an extension. It's necessary to enlarge. It's necessary to lengthen. It's necessary to stretch. It's necessary to strengthen. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's time to extend. The second image I want to encourage you with is this. The woman who was widowed is no longer disgraced. 
To be widowed was considered a great disgrace in many parts of the ancient world. A woman made her contributions to society through her husband. She was able to function in society as long as her husband was alive. So can you imagine what it would have been like for a widow to be all alone? To be by herself. She would have been in such a vulnerable position. She would have been marginalized simply for having no husband. Excluded from society. Perceived as burdensome. Society would have viewed her as no longer a contributor but just a liability and yet God sends the messenger Isaiah to Israel and says do not be afraid you will not be put to shame do not fear disgrace you will not be humiliated you will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood how could it be possible for one to forget the reproach of your widowhood how could one be not be disgraced having no husband somebody say there is one there is one who is able to deliver Israel from her disgrace. Isaiah says, your maker is your husband. The one to deliver Israel from her disgrace is the Lord Almighty. He is the Holy One of Israel. He is your Redeemer. He is God of all the earth. The third image I want to encourage you with is this. The woman who was rejected is restored in covenant love. Of all the things in biblical times that would have been the worst to ever happen to a woman, it wasn't childlessness, it wasn't widowhood. Many scholars of the Bible say that it was divorce. To be barren was not to be able to have children. To be widowed, widowed was to be left alone involuntarily. But to be divorced was to be found wanting, longing and desiring in some way, only to be rejected. And this was a picture of Israel. She failed God. God's jealousy was kindled in a surge of anger. God deserted. He abandoned and he hid his face from his bride, but for a brief moment. And so she's taken into captivity. But now that brief moment, 70 years has passed and God was tenderly bringing Israel back home, forgiving her and restoring her in covenant love. Isaiah says, the Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young, only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with deep compassion, I will bring you back. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you. God's anger is for a moment, but his compassion is everlasting. If I can have the band join me. This past year for me and Haley, it's been our absolute joy and utmost delight to walk alongside many of you through some of the greatest and toughest seasons in 2023. To sit with you, to pray with you, to stand with you, to mourn with you, to laugh with you, to cry with you, to celebrate with you. Some of you have had to battle through illnesses. Some of you have had to walk through disappointments. Some of you have had to deal with the loss of loved ones. You've had to put your dreams and goals on hold. You've had to make tough decisions in your jobs, in your relationships, in your marriages, in your home. Many of you have had to make sacrifices. And so if there was anything that I wanted to encourage you with as you walk into 2024, it's this. The woman who was barren is supernaturally fruitful. The woman who was widowed is no longer disgraced. And the woman who was rejected is restored in covenant love. 
The thing about every single one of these three images that Isaiah gives us is that none of these things are an accident. None of these things just happen on their own. None of these things is the result of human ability. No, 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 no. It is the Lord who makes a barren woman to be supernaturally fruitful. It is the Lord who lifts the disgrace from the widow. It is the Lord who restores the rejected. It is the Lord who is ultimately the king that the people have been waiting for. It is the Lord. It is the Lord. It is the Lord. The whole entire point of Isaiah's message is that it's all about the Lord. It's about God himself who does all things for his glory. If you want to know how you're going to find strength this year, the answer is God. If you want to know how to be refreshed this year, the answer is God. If you want to know how to overcome this year, the answer is God. If you want to know how you're going to see victory this year, the answer is God. Throughout every chapter in the book of Isaiah, one thing remains true. God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. And because He is, He is one practical thing that I think we can do this year. Expect great things from God in 2024. We're going to walk into 2024 expecting great things from God. Now, I'm not talking about God getting you a car, getting you a house and getting you the latest iPhone. No, I'm talking about God just being God. I'm talking about God simply showing up to a prayer meeting and everyone being filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about God simply walking into your home and everybody being overcome by peace. I'm talking about God simply stepping into the room and suddenly everyone with sickness begins to be healed. I mean, if God is able to create the entire universe with just a word, if he's able to cause the sun to rise and tell the moon where to hide till nighttime, if he's able to part the Red Sea, if he's able to rescue Daniel from the lion's dead, then you can expect incredible things from God in 2024. To every person who has ever walked through a season of barrenness, to every person whose circumstance has brought you disgrace, to every person who has ever felt rejected because of all of your past mistakes, I came to let you know today that God who brought you through 2023 is the same God who's going to take you through to 2024. And here's how He's going to do it. He's going to have you extending the place of your tent. He's going to have you strengthening the stakes. He's going to have you lengthening the cords. He's going to have you bursting at the seams. He's going to lift the disgrace off of you. He's going to lift the shame off of you. He's going to redeem you. And if you ever feel rejected, He's going to restore you. Live daily expectant of God doing great things in your life. Expect great things from God in 2024. As I mentioned earlier, climbing Mount Pawanui was such a challenge. But something great happened. Do you ever have one of those mornings where you wake up and and you just feel like something is going to happen today? Like, I don't know what it is, but I'm excited. Something's going to happen. Well, the mountain climbing day was one of those days. Now, I'm about 15 minutes away from getting to the peak of the mountain, And at this point, people have just been passing, you know, like running, running past me to get up to the mountain. But one gentleman who looks like he was in his late 60s comes up behind me and he decides that he's going to be my cheerleader. I was surprised at first, but then this guy literally stayed behind me the whole time. And I tried to get him to go past me, but he just stayed. And he was like, come on, buddy, you're almost there. Come on, move it. Keep going. He was just going off nonstop. 
He started asking me questions and whatnot. Meanwhile, I'm huffing and puffing because I'm using up a lot of energy to carry my weight up this mountain. But also, I'm trying to use energy to have a conversation with this man. We kept walking up and then he asked me a question that I felt was a God opportunity. He asked me, what do you do for a living? And so I told him I worked for church. When he asked me that question, I saw it as, as an opportunity to share the gospel with him. So I just went for it. Was I scared? Yes. Was I nervous? Yes. Was I stuttering? 100%. But was I trusting God? Yep. I just couldn't shake off the sense of urgency that I felt to share the gospel with this guy. I was so afraid and nervous, but at the same time, totally trusted that Holy Spirit would use me and speak through me. In the end, he didn't really want to accept Jesus, but he just asked me to pray for him. I was like, Lord, don't give this man any peace until he's made a decision for you. After, after I prayed for him, I was filled with so much joy, but also grief at the same time. Joy that I got to pray with this man and share Jesus, but grief that he didn't respond to Jesus. You see, the greatest thing that I think God did in that moment was that he sent that man to help me to get to the peak of Mount Paunui because Lord knew I couldn't take it no more. <laughs> and so his encouragement and his cheering me on really blessed me. And in return, I got to share the gospel with him and plant the seed about Jesus. Now, coming down the mountain was another story because listen, it took me an hour to get up to the top, but about 20 minutes to get down to the bottom. So I was coming down and I was dancing all the way down. I had that song, every praise is to you. And I was like, every praise on my way down, all the way down to the bottom of the mountain. And so church this year, expect great things from God. And let me tell you, God is doing great things. As God is doing great things, you best believe that you're going to find yourself dancing the way down. Dancing your way to victory, dancing your way to freedom, dancing your way to healing, dancing your way to peace. In Jesus' name, amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, uh, you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart or given your life to Jesus, perhaps you're here and you're far away from God. I want to give you this opportunity to say yes to Jesus. The truth is God loves you. The God who created this entire universe is the same God who created you. And he created you for loving fellowship and relationship with God. He created you to know him and to love him. But the Bible talks about this thing that keeps us disconnected from God. That thing is called sin. Sin is doing things our own way. Sin is walking in disobedience to God. And the Bible says that the consequence of sin is death. But you see, my friend, it didn't end there because God in His grace, He sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that you and I didn't have to pay what we were due for sin. So when Jesus died on the cross, He took on Himself what you and I deserved. And so right now, God is extending to you His grace, forgiveness for your past, a new life right now, and a hope for your future and eternal life with Him in heaven. But there's one thing we must do. We must turn away from sin and turn to God. Put your trust in God. Put your hope in God. Put your faith in God for everlasting life. The Bible says, whosoever believes in Jesus will not perish 
but have everlasting life. And so if that's you and you're saying, yes, I want to give my heart to Jesus, I'm going to count to three and then I want you to lift your hand and then you can put it down straight away. Listen, you don't have to be shy or afraid. Nobody in this church was born holy. We are all sinners who've been saved by grace. But if that's you and you're wanting to give your heart to Jesus, I'm going to count to three. You can raise your hand and then you can put it down straight away. One, God loves you. Two, he's speaking to your heart right now. Three, raise your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I see that hand. Thank you, I see the hand. There's one more thing I want you to do for me. I want you to repeat this prayer after me, but I need you to know this prayer doesn't even save you. Jesus Christ saves you. This prayer is just an expression of you putting your faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. I turn away from sin and I turn to you. I invite you to come into my heart and into my life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.